Entrepreneurs Will Save the World. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Ad Valued Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. We focus on the mindset shifts entrepreneurs make to increase their influence and impact in the world. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by the Add Valued Entrepreneurs Podcast. We would love for you to like, share, and leave a review of our show. Subscribe on YouTube. Most importantly, help us spread the word about the great stories being shared on our show. Our guest today is Cheryl Ilove. Cheryl is an author, dancer, martial artist, and physical therapist. She is also a former chronic pain patient who began a journey of self-healing and lifelong learning after she was told by her medical team that she would never recover. She went from being a chronic pain patient to a physical therapist in private practice. Cheryl integrates her personal experience of recovering from a debilitating chronic pain syndrome with her education and experience as a physical therapist to help her clients enjoy a vibrant, healthy life. Cheryl, I live in Robert share how her own journey through pain and recovery inspired her entrepreneurial journey, how she became an accidental entrepreneur and a reluctant ninja. The principles of martial arts revolutionized her mind, and now she teaches the power of movement for training the brain. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm uh, I'm excited about the opportunity to share your story, and I there's some things I need to learn here. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So typically, I just let everybody share, because we're, we're talking with entrepreneurs and, and we talk a lot about the entrepreneurial journey. Um, I love to let people share when they made the leap and kind of a little bit about their their journey and the bumps and and of course where they're where they are today. So if you wouldn't mind sharing how you jumped into entrepreneurship. Well, I guess you can consider me an accidental entrepreneur because I kind of fell into it. It was not something that I was looking to do or ever thought that I would have my own business. Uh, even though in my 20s, I did have this like, you know, fantasy of opening up maybe a ballet studio with a yarn shop in the back or vice versa and calling the, the place the knit and split or the <laughs> pearl and twirl. I just thought that would be really cool. I love it. But I was in my 20s. And of course, that was just kind of like a pipe dream. But I thought it was kind of, you know, gitchy. So it wasn't until uh, I did have my first career was as a respiratory therapist. Um, so I was working in all, you know, hospitals, critical care, um, resuscitation team. Um, oh, boy, emergency room, everything from pediatrics, even neonates to geriatrics. So I did that for 17 years and decided that I wanted to change. So I ended up going to physical therapy school. So I got my master's degree in physical therapy. And that was in 1996 when I graduated. And unfortunately, just as I graduated, that's when um, the profession kind of was going through a slump. There were too many therapists, not enough jobs, a lot of changes in insurance coverage. And so the new kid on the block, you know, the new graduates were the ones who were getting just the crumbs of what was left over. And for two and a half years, I really struggled in an environment that I didn't like. I mean, I almost... 
I almost, I won't say hated it, but I really did not like it. And I thought, my goodness, I went through all of this work, uh, effort to get this master's degree. And I really didn't like the profession. I didn't like what I was doing. And it wasn't until I was sitting in a meeting that was so gut-wrenchingly boring that I just thought I was going to, you know, ugh, couldn't stand it anymore. All of a sudden, I had one of those, you know, mental head-smacking moments. I had an epiphany, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I could actually go out on my own because by this time, it was 1999, and the word Pilates was starting to get a little bit more mainstream. I had studied Pilates for myself and my own benefit and well-being since 1983. When I finished my graduate program for physical therapy, I ended up taking two professional trainings in Pilates. So I thought, you know, there are people out there who really don't know quite what they're doing. And I have a you know, degree in, in physical therapy now. I am a dancer. I've studied Pilates forever. I'm a recovered um, chronic pain patient. So I knew a lot about healing and I healed myself. So I thought I am going to go out on my own. And I opened my own private practice, specializing in Pilates-based rehabilitation and conditioning. Nice. Yep. And then later on, I added a fabulous um, modality movement um, specialty called Feldenkrais to the mix. And when I had my office and I ran my office for 18 years and I did not fix people. I taught my clients how to fix themselves. Hey, that's what I do. Awesome. <laughs> Just I, I fix this instead. of <laughs> What a concept. Well, yeah. So. Feldenkrais, Kreis. Feldenkrais. So that that's basically a form of neuromuscular reeducation, right? Can we yes, let's dig is. a little dig a little into into how that works and and what it does for a person? Okay, it is um, based on the scientific principle of neuroplasticity, which is just a fancy name for saying that uh, our brain, our bodies, are incredibly malleable and flexible during the entire course of our lifetime, that we can change habits and patterns that might not be serving us well. We can interrupt them in a gentle way through movement and introduce new patterns and new habits that might be healthier and serve us better just by bringing our attention and our awareness to these movement um, explorations. It actually changes the pathways in our brain in a gentle and kind way. Um, so it's just a wonderful way that you can really become, you can get rid of aches and pains. You can make any kind of movement um, easier, effortless, even elegant, just by using this method. And interestingly enough, even though Feldenkrais focuses specifically on movement, it really helps with emotional distress. It helps with anxiety and other issues that we have a tendency to experience during the course of a lifetime, life well-lived, that once you're comfortable in your body, you're comfortable in your mind, in your brain, and much clearer in your thinking. Oh, so powerful. You know, we, we talk about basically reprogramming through repetition right so mm -hmm. the best way to reach your subconscious is through repetition and of course motion can be a repetition that that you repeat 
But mm-hmm. for, for most of my clients, it's helping them repeat a new story, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and basically telling the story of their past, of their existence, their present in, mm-hmm. in a way that's, you know, positive and encouraging, right? And finding the value in, in their story rather than, you know, having a story that's debilitating and, mm-hmm. and negative and, you know, spiraling down a, a misery of anxiety and stress. <laughs> I love how you say that and the value of of what, you know, our experiences, because none of us get through this life without, you know, the hits, because life is full of hits and being able to take those hits and look at them actually as blessings in disguise is it takes a while. It takes a little bit of effort, um, but it's well worth it. And there always is an opposite side. Absolutely. And the challenge is that we're, we're encouraged to be victims, right? We're victims of the bully. We're victims of the, the system. We're victims of God. We're, we're, mm-hmm. we've, we're, we're, we almost get to the point where we feel like life is out of our control. Mm-hmm. And that's the exact opposite of, of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I recently had a, an acquaintance, not, not a very close friend, but all these terrible things keep happening. Mm-hmm. And and literally asked, well, why do all these bad things keep happening to me? I, you know, because you're living in a place of shame and yeah. guilt. <laughs> and, and as long as you're below the line of courage and you're not taking responsibility for your life, you will always be attracting to yourself exactly what you think about and complain about and whine about. And right. And, exactly. And, and it's, it's hard for someone that's never, gotten above what I call the line of courage, right? The line of mm-hmm. courage is where I take hundred percent responsibility for everything that happens to me. And, and the first choice I make is that life is not happening to me. It's happening for me. Mm-hmm. And that perspective alone changes so much of what's happening in the world, right? I see the world happening as an advantage to me rather than damaging to me, right? The flat tire I got on my car on the way to work well, I just missed the car accident that was going to happen in that intersection, mm-hmm. right? There's so many possibilities where many people get the flat tire and it destroys not just that day. And it's an mm-hmm. excuse for their bad attitude for one day. It's an excuse for a miserable week. It's mm-hmm. an excuse for, well, I didn't make my sales quota this month because that flat tire I had on, you know, two weeks ago. Um, and yep. And the reality is I can't change the fact that my car had a flat tire, my engine blew up, any of those kinds of things, but I can learn from them and I can, Mm -hmm. I can deal with it. And in some cases there's no positive or negative in it. It just is right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Flat tire is a bummer, but it just happens. Mm -hmm. It's not the world plotting against you. And so (laughs) you change the flat tire, the car's fine. You're a few minutes behind and you go on with your day. But so many people get stuck. That's so fascinating because, you know, I totally agree. And it just triggered a memory that happened to me. It was pre-COVID and I was doing my podcast. I was coming from, um, I'd actually gone to a woman's home and did it there. And on the way home, I was driving up to uh, I-25, rush hour traffic, and my car stalled. Oh no, that's a terrible place. Yeah, it's like, this is not good. And I mean, it was just... Long story, but it worked out okay. I was safe. I managed to get the car started again. And I guess, you know, the people around me could see the screaming redhead and the flailing arms and stuff. So they realized that something was wrong even before I hit my hazard lights. But then 
you know, I, the car started, it was fine. And I drove myself home going, wow, that was really weird. And then I thought, this is great. Nothing happened. I handled the situation okay. My husband wasn't even home. He was on a business trip. I came home with my dogs. I had the rest of the evening together with them. And, you know, and it was fine. And when I told the story, other people are going, oh my gosh, what, you know, that's terrifying. And, and what are you going to do about this in your car? And it was like, calm down. Everything turned out fine. Did take the car into the shop, but it turned out fine. Yeah. Well, and so many times the negative things that happen in our lives, we feel bad in the moment, but the truth is they turn out fine because yeah. you know what human beings do? We figure it out especially if we're taking responsibility. I can't undo bad stuff that happens, but I can deal with what I can control. And I think that's the biggest challenge for so many people, right? It, it really does boil down to the serenity prayer. You, mm -hmm. know, you know, God teach me the things that I can control and the things that I can't control allow me to let go of, you know, exactly. help me to have the wisdom to know the difference. And when you figure that out, it, it changes everything. Mm-hmm. It's almost like um, it, it's a matter of perspective. And I even explain it in a way to a lot of my clients and the people I work with. And plus, it's just a great story that I have four sisters. And, you know, I live out here. Everybody else is back east, which is fine. You know, <laughs> distance is great. Um, but I remember one time my mom talking to me on the phone and was telling me a family story. You know, it was a situation, a party or whatever I, I didn't go to. I was back here. And so she told me these, these stories. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. The next day, a sister called, told me the exact story, but it was completely different. And then the following day, I talked to another sister and it was like, this is so fascinating because the facts are the same. They didn't change at all. But the perspective that I was getting from each one of them was so different. So it's almost like standing in a room. You always stand or sit in the same corner of the room. It's a habit. And then all of a sudden you go to the other corner, a different corner, and you look at the room. It's like you've never seen it before. It's all brand new because you've gotten out of that habit and you just have a different perspective. Well, and it's really, if you go to the scientific side of it, right, our reticular activating system, recognizing that each one of us is filtering the information in that room through our own filter, our own spam filter, I love to call the reticular well, activating good. system. It's, the, it's our natural spam filter, right? It's built in to to keep our senses in line because our senses would overwhelm our brain if all the things that are all the things that we see, all the things that we hear, all the things that touch, you know, affect our touch or smell, if all of those senses got reported to the brain at the same time, the brain would blow up. Wow. But that filter keeps out all the stuff and and it filters it, you know, is it important to me? Mm -hmm. You know, is it true? <laughs> is it true mm -hmm. for me? You know, mm -hmm. and then does it matter, right? How important is it? And so, so that that cool thing is when you start to see, okay, now I can see what's important to this sister. Now mm -hmm. I can see what's important to this sister because because you start to hear the story through their filters, and rather than our typical reaction is that's not what happened, and we get in a fight. <laughs> You're wrong, and you know that that's that's exactly right. You know, and then you can. Even it's so funny because, okay, five of us girls raised exactly the same way and our personalities are all different. And, you know, that's what 
I love about Feldenkrais and a lot of the work that I do is we really respect the individual, the individuality of everybody and everybody's, we all have our own unique qualities. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes society so wonderful. All of, you know, if we were all the same, that'd be awfully boring. <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> yes, it would. And, and the truth is we're designed to attract people that are different than us, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the, the, the slang idea or the, the legend is right. Opposites attract and you, you mm -hmm. attract that person. There's a reason for that. And I believe that I attracted my wife because the two of us together are far more complete than, than either one of us individually. Um, but that's also how we view our relationship, right? Our, mm -hmm. our role in our relationship is to build each other up and make each other better. And so make each other more integral more whole mm -hmm. and so we have more integrity as a team than than we ever would you know apart but we also choose to focus on our destination and our journey together mm -hmm. rather than on these ideas of power and control which mm -hmm. so many people get stuck in in these ideas of power and control um, and and that impacts how your relationship grows and and you know who's in charge mm -hmm. yeah and oftentimes it does not work out well no, it does not. It's not a good outcome. And that works in business relationships as well. If you're if you're going into business relationships for the idea of of who's got the power and the control, even in a sales conversation, it's it's not. There's no good outcomes mm -hmm. you know, for 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 the salesperson or the person receiving it. Whereas, I offer my services, but but I want people that that want my services and need my help mm -hmm. and, and are going to apply the help that I provide. I don't want to, I don't want to be jamming something down somebody's throat that mm -hmm. they don't want, they don't need, or they don't feel good, you know, experiencing, especially as a coach, <laughs> I want to mm -hmm. have that kind of positive relationship where I'm having a positive impact. And, and I know you feel the same in, in, in your kinds of therapy. Mm -hmm. It's, it's to bring out the very best in somebody. Right. And I think one of the most important things that I learned in my entrepreneurial journey was that we are not meant to work with everybody, <laughs> you know, and if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. And you just kindly and gently just explain, you know, there's somebody else that can serve you better than I can at this point in time. So that was really a powerful message, especially coming from the background that I came from, you know, as a respiratory therapist in acute care, you know, you have to help everybody. That's your job, you know, and, and it was important. You did have to help everybody. But then when you're getting out into something like, like what I do, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, we're not meant to work with everyone. That's so valuable. And, and not everybody's right. I think the biggest mistake many entrepreneurs make early on is right. Anybody with a credit card. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's but, a big mistake. Absolutely. So, so that's kind of talking about connection. So let's talk about the value of, of connection and how connection builds your network, builds your business. Oh, um, do you mean, how do I connect with people? Sure, or Absolutely. 
Well, of course, things have changed quite a bit over the past few years. We all know that. Um, but actually, I closed my private practice in May of 2017 after, it was shortly after I had published my first book. And there was a uh, confluence of events that happened at the same time where, you know, my rent was going up, my lease was due, I was on a jury for three weeks missing work, and I was still trying to recover from... Um, Spending time seven years earlier uh, with my mom and dad, I would fly back and forth from Denver to Pittsburgh. They were both ill at the same time, so I was helping wow. them out, you know, and, and just trying to even recover my business from all the time I missed. And all of this all came together. And as I was swear being sworn in and taking the oath on that jury, it was like, I do and I don't. I'm done now or I'm done for a while because I also had a little bit of a frightening medical thing going on. And I thought I could be out for a real long time. So instead of renewing my lease, I closed my office and I just promoted myself, you know, as an author and did some public speaking. Um, and then of course COVID and started a podcast. And then of course COVID hit and that changed how I did my podcasting. And it has been the most amazing experience. I am meeting people and I have friends now all over the world. You know, Canada, you know that, Canada, Australia, the UK, I mean, Germany, and it's just been such a fun experience. And uh, just this, oh my gosh, it's almost a year now, I think. I relaunched, it was last summer, I relaunched my, um, my office or my services online. And now since things are opening up, I'm actually teaching workshops and classes in person. So it's, and I just published my second book. So life is good. Nice. So I want to dig into the value of podcasting. Obviously you mentioned that expanding your network around the world uh, mm -hmm. is, is a huge benefit, but what other values has, has, has been the impact of, of hosting your podcast? Well, it's given me even more uh, confidence as a speaker. It's really even fine-tuned my listening skills even more. I have learned so much because every single guest that I have on the show, I learn something from them. And it's just amazing to hear these people's stories and especially to hear the stories of resilience, which is mostly, you know, 99.9% .9 of my guests do have incredible stories of either overcoming an obstacle or resilience or, you know, empowerment that just gives me the energy and gives me, you know, the desire to keep on going. I mean, I had no idea um, when I first started doing this, and it's a long story I won't get into, but when I first started podcasting, I fell into that just like I fell into entrepreneurship. I also am an accidental author. I fell into that as well. I even fell into martial arts. It's a big you seem story. To, you seem to be falling a lot. I do. So that's why I do martial arts is now I know how to fall and get back up. <laughs> that's so, fantastic. Yeah, when I started, it was like, this is a lot of work. I don't know how long I'm going to do this for. And I, I thought maybe a year. I don't know. Well, I think it's been close to three years now. I just recorded episode 180. Ooh. So, um, yeah, just my numbers just kind of shot up like crazy recently. So I'm very happy about it. Yep. We're working on that, that numbers thing. <laughs> oh, that's, that's tough, isn't it? <laughs> it's well, it organically, it is a, it is definitely a slow, a yeah. slow process and the consistency just has to, 
you just have to stay consistent and mm-hmm. and resilient. And obviously, you know, we're competing with with the true crime drama and all the drama things and all the same kind of things that are on Netflix and these other things <laughs> are in the podcast right. world that people are listening to. And and so finding the audience that that wants to do those same things, right? Develop confidence. They want to learn mm-hmm. something. They want mm-hmm. something that applies to their to their personal journey. And obviously that's a smaller, a smaller niche, but, but I think mm-hmm. once you start to find your people, mm-hmm. then the people that are listening to your podcast are also great potential clients and great yes. potential because they, they like what they're hearing. They like the conversations mm-hmm. that are happening. And, and these are, you're building a tribe of, of followers that really enjoy the conversations that that you're having. Mm-hmm. And so they're much more natural fit mm-hmm. as clients. And so even though it's a slower, it's a slower process, especially early on. Yes. Once it starts to multiply, you're multiplying numbers that matter versus mm-hmm. I can I can build my Facebook up to 5,000 Facebook friends right. overnight. But of those 5,000, who's who's really a potential client? Right. Even LinkedIn, I can build up pretty fast and only half of those are potential clients right <laughs> typically right. And so so the, the the podcast is more intimate i think there's more for the people that are listening right mm-hmm. they they are listening more and more because or they're repeat listeners because they enjoyed you know mm-hmm. something about you as the host and something mm-hmm. about the conversations that you're having and of course you have to be consistent in 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 how you're having those conversations and consistent in guests that align with your purpose. Um, that's really important, I think. But if you stick to your, your, mm-hmm. you stick to it consistently and, and regularly, and you honor the, you know, honor their expectations because you've created them, <laughs> you mm-hmm. create expectations and then you honor those expectations. Mm-hmm. The growth just does. It, it mm-hmm. starts to happen. And that's, that's a really fun thing. Oh, it's a really fun thing. But sometimes you just have to turn a blind eye to the numbers at first, especially at the beginning. And uh, you're an author as well. So you know what it's like when your book is first out there. It's the same thing. You're, you know, in this sea of how many, you know, billions of books and, and, and stuff, but just making sure that you stand out and you're true to yourself, you're true to the message and you know, the target audience that you're really trying to reach to. Absolutely. Love that. So on that note, let's talk about, um, the, the value and, and importance as an entrepreneur of, of character and, and authenticity. Oh, well, that's huge. I mean, if you don't have, if you're not authentic and if you are not coming from a place of honesty and ethical behavior and really in service of your client, then you're not going to do very well. But when you're sincere about what you have to offer and you deliver, just like you said, with the podcast, the expectations and you deliver, it's the same thing when you're working with a client and it's not like how many clients can I get? It's when you're working with a client, that client is the only thing that you're, you, the only thing in your focus. And, you know, once you can help serve them and fulfill their needs, then they're going to talk about you. They're going to tell their friends, they're going to tell their, their neighbors, or they'll be in a conversation with a family member. And it's like, oh, that you're having this problem. You might want to talk to this lady or this gentleman, and they might be able to help you. So 
it's just, again, it's the organic growth. It goes from there. But if you're not being honest, if you're not being authentic, if you're trying to be somebody else or something that you're not, you won't be successful. Mm, so true. All right. So we talked about falling into entrepreneurship and falling into authorship. Uh, let's talk about falling into martial arts. Yeah, that was a big surprise. <laughs> That's a huge one. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, I started training in an ancient Japanese martial art called Nimpo Taijutsu, the art of the ninja, at the tender young age of 47. All right. I think you got to even back up before that because there was a couple years of prodding. Oh, yeah. There were definitely, <laughs> yeah, there were. Okay. <laughs> I'll go back then another three years when I met my, a new acupuncturist. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson, available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. So I had, he had been highly recommended from one of my clients and I knew how selective she was. So i trusted her opinion. So I went uh, to see this acupuncturist and I liked him well enough, you know, seemed like a nice guy, seemed to know what he was talking about, know what he was doing. He seemed authentic. And so I'm on the table and he started putting needles in my legs. And when he did that, he got a very far away look on his face and he said, you know, with your legs and my coaching, I could teach you how to kill with these things. <laughs> That's and, an odd conversation. Thank you. I thought so. And I'm thinking, okay, this guy's insane. Where's my purse? I need to grab my purse and run. But I was literally pinned to the table. I had needles sticking out all over me. So unless I wanted to try running with needles all over my body, that wasn't going to happen. And I thought, who thinks like this, let alone says it out loud, right? So I just thanked him. I says, no, I'm not interested, uh, but thank you for thinking of me. Well, every single time I went back for a treatment, he would just go on and on and on about the art of the ninja and tried to get me to train with him. And I just wanted him to you know, put the needles in, shut up, leave me alone, close the door, let the needles do their work, give me some peace. And he just went on and on and on. And he just wouldn't give up. He just wanted to get me um, on the mat with him. And he had his martial arts studio right next to his clinic, his um, acupuncture clinic. Well, that makes and, sense. Yeah. It was, you know, I mean, who wouldn't do that? It's kind of like my idea with the um, ballet studio and the iron shop, right? The split and knit. But anyway, um, I just kept saying no. And Finally, it was about a year after I had been seeing him and he found out that I was struggling with um, the symptoms of PTSD mm. because I had a really traumatic experience just a few months before I met him and I never mentioned it to him. It's a long story. It's in the book if anybody wants to hear the whole story. Um, and once he found out about this, his campaign to get me on the mat just went into high gear. So for another two years, I had to, he's just begging me to take martial arts classes with him. He says, I know it can make you feel better. I know it can help you get your power back. I know it can help you heal. And I'm looking at him going, I don't understand 
how hanging out in a smelly dojo with a bunch of sweaty men is going to help me heal or help me feel better. So I just kept saying no until finally, after a total of three years, I said, okay, I will take a few classes just to prove to you how much I'm going to hate it. And then I'm going to quit. And 10 years later, I became his first female black belt. In 20 years of teaching, he never had a woman achieve such a high belt level. So I was the first. Quitter. I know, really. <laughs> Slacker. <laughs> I'm taking this class because I know I'm going to quit it. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, two years later, I was like, well, I probably am going to keep on going. But the funniest part is, well, there are many funny parts. But the funniest part is I never wanted a black belt. I was never in it for the belts. I didn't even want a yellow belt. I didn't even want a white belt, but it came with the uniform. So I had to take it, <laughs> um, but I was never going to test. I was never good. I never took it seriously. And it was just all of a sudden this transformation just happened. So I'm a ninja. <laughs> well, that's pretty amazing. It is. It's, it's, it's a really amazing story. And, uh, you know, I always, even at the very first, like two or three years of training, we would do something would happen and I would just shake my head and say, I'm going to write a book someday. And I had no idea that I really would write a book and that it would be this incredible journey. Well, I, I can see from behind you that you've taken the ninja thing very seriously as an excuse to buy more swords. So <laughs> I, I think that alone is, is worth the, the effort of becoming a ninja to have a ninja sword collection. Yeah, I have a lot of cool toys, <laughs> a lot of fun stuff. My husband sleeps with one eye open. <laughs> it's too late for him. If, if you really wanted to do something, we already know that the legs are deadly. <laughs> <laughs> exact killer legs. And it was so funny because even, you know, in my training, as I was starting to uh, climb up the ranks a little bit and starting to gain some skills, people would add, look at my husband and my husband's six foot four. I mean, he's a big man. And they would look at him and say, uh, are you worrying about that? And he said, I can still outrun her. Don't worry about it. And then, of course, his knees started to get really bad. And then it was like, oh, dear, I can't outrun her anymore. But I don't I don't run. So he was safe. <laughs> yeah, my 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 wife. I mean, she knows where I sleep. If she wants to do something, there's not a lot of defense when you're sleeping. No, there really isn't. <laughs> So it's probably good to keep them on your side while you're awake so that they don't think about doing things to you while you're sleeping. Exactly. Good relationships. We always already mentioned the importance of having good relationships. All right. So we've already gone down this road. What, what was your favorite date with your husband? Or most memorable, if you want. Oh, my goodness. That's a stumper. No one has ever asked me that. Um, I would have to say probably the first time we went skiing because he thought he was a good skier uh -oh. and, um, he's a good athlete, but I grew up, I, I learned how to ski in Western Pennsylvania when I was nine years old, moved out to Colorado when I was 21, mostly for the skiing, a few other things too, but mostly for the skiing. So I was a pretty darn good skier. And I was taught very well. Of course, when you're skiing in the um, Allegheny Mountains with the bulletproof ice, you better know what you're doing, right? <laughs> it is really tough skiing. 
So the very first time we went skiing, I was horrified because he was from Georgia. He skied once or twice in the hills of Georgia, if that's a, even possible. <laughs> he also was a, um, uh, what's that called? A water skier. So Whoa, he was skiing. Lean the wrong, lean the wrong way. <laughs> Thank you. You noticed that too. Yeah. And this big guy, six foot four, leaning back on his skis, not really turning and going straight down. And I would just yell at him and I would lecture him. And I says, you don't ski anywhere near me. If you hit me, you're going to really hurt me. And he just thought he was really good. He goes, you're just rah, 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 rah. He noticed I had some good skills, but it wasn't until one of the ski patrol, a woman pulled him over and said, you are out of control. And he says, no, I'm not. This is the way to ski. And, you know, it's like, okay. He's doing his Bodie Miller impersonation. Yeah. So I told him that we would, I would never ski with him again, that if he wouldn't listen, you know, take some tips for me. And it wasn't, uh, you know, so we didn't ski together for a while. And it wasn't until he had a friend who came out to ski and his friend said, oh my gosh, you know, cause I said, you guys stay over there and I'm going to ski by myself. And his friend was watching me and he says, she really knows what she's doing. So he skied down to me carefully and he asked for pointers. So as I was teaching him, you could see my husband paying attention and taking it all in, but he wouldn't ask for help. But he eventually became a very good skier. Oh, the young married days. Oh, well, that so wasn't it. We yeah, we weren't married. We weren't married. We were just dating and it was like, oh. Well, it's lucky you survived the dating. Yes, yes. <laughs> those those challenges of, of ego and pride and <laughs> things that yes. get in the way of us yes. learning. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we'll we'll just add to that a little bit. What was your favorite dinner? With my husband? Well, you don't have to eat it with your husband if you would if he doesn't enjoy dinner. I don't know. <laughs> the, my favorite dinner that I make or that we go out to? Either way. Oh, well, I would have to say there was a lovely restaurant right around the corner from us, and it was a seafood place. And we would have some of the best dinners there because, you know, close to the house, we would celebrate our birthdays. We would celebrate anniversary. We would even go there on New Year's Eve because, hey, it was close. We didn't have to drive very far, you know, if you want to go out for New Year's Eve. And it was wonderful. And so, oh, they had a pasta. It was a, um, like a seafood pasta or a seafood stew or whatever. Oh, my goodness. It was just wonderful. And unfortunately, we lost them. Oh. They were a victim of or a consequence, let's say, not victim. They were a consequence of um, COVID. So, but that was, we would have, it was wonderful. Great service, great food, you know, wonderful time to celebrate, you know, milestones but it's gone oh uh, so on that note you mentioned celebrations and so how how important is play and fun oh way up there way up there even when you're working don't work play so what's your favorite way to play oh my goodness either um ballet class martial arts class there's nothing like throwing a couple of people around, especially when they're half your age and twice your size. That makes you just, that's a lot of fun. So that's good. Uh, love hiking. That's a lot of fun as well. But probably I would have to say, I'd probably say martial arts is probably the top one because of the interaction 
you know, the ballet is fun as well, but fun and ballet, putting those two together is a little bit, you know, it's kind of like an oxymoron sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to argue. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously martial arts, physical therapy, all those things are, are kind of grounded in, in routines, but how have routines helped you and served you in, in your business and developing your business? I would have to say, especially uh, the martial arts training has helped in my business because when the times were getting tough and you're up against these obstacles, as we all know, as entrepreneurs, it's not always smooth sailing. And there are always obstacles or bumps in the roads or adjustments that you have to make. And there was one time when it was, um, you know, my parents were still alive, so I wasn't leaving town as much. But um, and I was had a couple of really big challenges in in my business, not moving forward. And I stepped back for a while and I thought of the principles of martial arts and I thought of the principles and the philosophy of the training. And I realized I needed to use those principles and insert them in my business. And once I did that and stopped worrying about what was happening and just used those principles to guide me, all of a sudden things flipped around and it was actually pretty quickly. So anytime that, you know, again, when um, I was traveling and leaving my business a lot when my mom and dad were sick, I again went back to those basics. All of those principles that I learned can be applied to every single aspect of your life. So that's, was my guiding principle. Nice. That that's always helpful. Are there are there routines or, or things that you have in your life that are non-negotiables? Like non-negotiable for like I'm gonna do this every day no matter no matter what else happens. Yes, I do some kind of movement um, practice every single day. Something. Even if it's you know just lying down on the floor and doing a little bit of rolling or stretching or whatever, just to really get into my body and out of my head. Cause sometimes, you know, it's a very busy place up there for all of us. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of things that we need to just turn off. So yes, that is non-negotiable. And I either come downstairs here in my girl cave, which is a lot of fun. Obviously it's my hangout. Um, or I do it upstairs and roll around and the dogs think that that's a lot of fun for them as well. So got to move every single day. It doesn't have to be something big or huge, but any kind of movement. It's very therapeutic. I was thinking about, I still, the, the book I always joked about writing was um, Ode to My Dog because the dog just has the, the greatest life, right? Like, you know, he knocks on the door, you let him out. He knocks on the door, you let him in. He's always happy to see you. He's got the great mm -hmm. attitude. So when you thought of it, when you mentioned laying on the ground, I was like, laying on the ground and rolling over, that's the dog. That's what he does. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is really funny because when I first started my martial arts training, um, rolls and falls is a huge part of it. And that's what they teach at the beginning of every single class. I don't fall. I do now. And I couldn't roll. And I mean, you know, it was just, it was so frustrating because I just couldn't figure out how to bend in that that position. As a dancer, we're very extended and upright, that straight spine, that you can't roll like that. So I would practice over and over again, clear out a space in my living room. And the dogs thought it was just wonderful. I had quite a few at the time and they would come and they'd give me pointers and they'd roll for me and show me how to do it. So that was really a fun experience. Oh, 
So great. So we talked about the impact of hosting the podcast. So what's been the impact of, of being an author? Oh, boy. Again, another whole new um, community to connect with because I have become very good friends with a variety of different authors in a variety of di different genres. Um, I even teamed up, this was right before COVID, um, with a group of three other authors. And we, you know, just kind of pulled our collective talents together. We created this little group. We called it the Red Booth Writers Group because wow. we would always meet at Mimi's and sit in this red booth. And we wrote a ton of um, like either essays or short articles or whatever and sent them to different publications to see if we can get ourselves published so we can get more attention for our books. We actually did in the course of, I think, I think it was seven months, we got maybe 28 of our articles published and each one of us had, you know, a significant amount. So that was really pretty cool. Um, yeah. So getting authors to do something together. Um, sometimes it's almost like herding cats, but when you can really focus on the goal, it's really great. So just a lot of different um, opportunities to, to speak and to uh, yeah, share my story. The story, but the ninja story is pretty funny. I mean, it's sad and it's heartbreaking, um, but it's also really funny as well. And um, then the story, my first book is about fitness over 50, and it's not about going to the gym three times a week. <laughs> so nice. Mm -hmm. All right. What inspires you? You know, what inspires me, I think, are the people that I talk to every single day who have overcome challenges, obstacles. Um, I hear incredible stories almost every single day, or it seems like every single day. And that really inspires me to just keep on going on. Also, teaching helps inspire me. So, because I do teach a lot, I teach, um, you know, at the dojo, I teach self-defense, um, you know, I teach movement classes and I, I love teaching. I really believe that I was born to teach and not the didact didactic type of teaching, but teaching movement and teaching people how they can feel better and recover from anything that they've experienced. Oh, so powerful. So I I think I saw someplace that you you help teach people a five-step process to, to to make a change in in their life or, or to strengthen their ability to deal with the the world. And and I felt like that wasn't just a physical fitness thing, that it was obviously with your Feldenkrais and your mm -hmm. physical therapy, you're combining movement with um, retraining the brain. Mm -hmm. um, how does that, I guess I just want you to share your secret <laughs> for helping people. Um, okay. What, well, what, what is it that, that, that would, would allow us, what, what little tool could you give somebody to, to get out of a funk? Okay. Well, basically movement is training your brain. So if you think of it that way, you can't do any kind of movement without training your brain. So several of the things that I would suggest if, there's somebody who's having a hard time getting out of a funk is just 
do some sort of movement every single day. It does not have to be, uh, you know, go to yoga class. It doesn't have to be go to the gym. It, it could just be sit on a one of those exercise balls in your home, in the privacy of your own home. Go outside, go for a walk, go back to nature. That really does help calm the mind, the spirit, the soul, and then you get the physical activity. If, you, if you're hiking, you know, that's even better. But if you're not into that, just go and walk around the block. Everybody's can walk or, or you know, you know, use an assistive device, whatever, but just get out and do something. Make sure that you surround yourself with people who have the same kind of goals that you do. So if somebody's looking at you going, yeah, you don't want to do that. You don't want to, you don't want to improve yourself. No, let's just sit here and have a bag of Oreos and watch TV or, you know, do binging on Netflix, whatever. Find those people that can help motivate and encourage you and encourage each other. It's really important to have, you know, a team, even if it's one or two people that you can share things with, be, be it physical, you know, mental, emotional, social, um, just those type of connections. One of my most favorite tips we've already talked about is getting down on the floor every single day. And I'm serious, just get down on the floor because that the floor is almost like a, a tool to to teach you how to move and how you can move better. And once people are really afraid of, of several things, but of falling. So everybody has a fear of falling, especially as we get a little bit more mature in life. And that's one of the best tools that you can use to keep yourself fit and flexible Every single day, get down on the floor and get back up. I've had clients say, what do I do when I'm down there? Doesn't really matter. You can sit on the floor. You can lie on the floor. You can do little, you know, roll like a sausage. It doesn't matter. But get down on the floor every single day because the ability to get down on the floor and back up again is really, really important, not only for your physical health and wellness, but it actually does a lot for your mental mental health and wellness too and your mindset. Oh, so good. Oh, thank you. Had they had that just spewed out? <laughs> I hope that's what you were looking for. Those kind of tips. Absolutely. Whatever, right. whatever we can help somebody make a shift. Right. And, and mm. for me, uh, I'm, I'm huge into mindset shifts in any way we mm. can. I, I don't use the word hack typically, but, but hack the brain, reprogram mm. the brain, understanding that you can create new neural pathways. And the best right. way to do that is through repetition. Right. Um, and even trying to change the habit, right, to the point mm -hmm. where I think it kind of happened for you with the ninja thing. If you go to if you go to the dojo every day, at some point, okay, I guess I'm a ninja, and you <laughs> and you just you just end up all right. I guess a ninja would take the test and, yes. and test for the next belt. And so it wasn't that I wanted to test for the next belt. It wasn't that I wanted the belt at all. But I'm here. I'm a ninja, and so I identify as a ninja, and so. I have to take the test. That's just the right thing that the ninja is supposed to do. And then magic happened. <laughs> so I think that's another uh, little tip that I would like to leave with the listeners is sometimes if you don't feel like doing something, do it anyway. Ooh. And there are a lot of times I had, a, I went to a therapist for a while and um, he wasn't nearly as effective as the dojo, let me tell you. So I just, <laughs> The dojo was a lot more fun and more effective. So he said to me one time, you know, because I had gone to the dojo and went to my appointment afterwards. And he asked me, did you go to the dojo today? And I says, well, yes, I did. But, you know, didn't feel like it, blah, blah, blah. But I went and he just looked at me. And in that, you know, that soothing therapist voice, he said, oh, I really admire you 
for going to the dojo and getting out of the house when you didn't feel like it. And I looked at him, my natural snark just kind of rose to the surface. And I just looked at him and I said, if I waited until I felt like it, I would never leave the house. <laughs> for anything. Exactly. <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> I'm right there. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So obviously mindset is a, is a big deal for you. And you talk a lot about movement as a shift in mindset. One of the tools that, that I try to encourage people to use and, and value is um, the power of gratitude. Mm. In what ways has gratitude served you and how do you help others change that or shift to a, to a place of gratitude? I don't even remember exactly when and how it happened. It was one of those little ninja, you know, changes that when I realized that I was grateful for that traumatic ex experience that I had, which, you know, there were some really ugly years there for a while, but I wouldn't be where I am right now if it were not for that experience. Mm. And for that, I really, truly am grateful. Do I wish it never had happened? Yes. Of course. But then on the other hand, look at the swords behind me. <laughs> And look at the smile on my face. So, you know, I think that I really help people see gratitude, not by saying you need to practice gratitude. Um, but I think I do it for through example a lot of times. Or even, you know, it's like, wow, you did that? Really? You know, that's pretty amazing. You should be pretty happy about that. Aren't you grateful you had the opportunity to do that? So, and that's what I call some like ninja secret tricks and stuff. So <laughs> nice. Well, I like that you get to use the like ninja thing, you know, everything now because you are a right? ninja. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so now, amazing. Now I you... can throw ninja secrets in my blog titles. I can throw ninja secrets in my my podcast titles. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, I'm actually, my next book is going to be about some ninja secrets. So I won't tell you the title quite yet, but um, the outline is already done and I'm something I'm working on it. So, but yeah, those are really little you know, I guess you said hacks, they're actually ninja secrets. And I think that everybody should have the opportunity to know these secrets without having to spend 18 years in a smelly dojo the way I did. <laughs> well, as long as we're, we're jumping off roofs in black suits and swords, we, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty wild and crazy training sometimes, but it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Obviously, coming from the dojo and, and having a, a, a sensei, sensei, yes, sensei is gives you a natural mentor mentee relationship. In mm. what other ways have have mentors helped you in your journey, and and how would you recommend an entrepreneur find the mentor that would help them on their journey? Oh uh, well, again, accidental mentor, um, and if you you can look over my shoulder. You can even see there's a, a mentor, there's a black and white photo to the far end of the screen. I don't know if you could see it, it's a ballet dancer. That photo was probably taken before I was born. And he was my ballet master. And he was a mentor for me for several years, even though when I first met him, I couldn't stand the man. And uh, I think he probably felt the same way about me. And then as our relationship changed, he became quite a friend and a mentor for me, and as a matter of fact, I even dedicated my first book to him. Um, 
so that that just again one of those things that happened and then of course with mark my sensei um he was obviously a mentor he when i first started training he was more of my protector and kind of watching over me just to make sure that i was not too far out of my comfort zone that i would freak out or get hurt or whatever and then that relationship changed from him being my my protector and my teacher to more my coach and my mentor and even to being an advisor when i had personal issues that it's like okay who could i tell this to and ask for help that would not judge me um or you know i could trust giving me the accurate information that would help me and that was always him um were we always compatible? Oh, no, 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 no. But it always, you know, worked out and we always kind of made up. And yeah, so I think it's really important to have somebody that can challenge you and really push you out of your comfort zone. And I think sometimes maybe when we're looking for a mentor, especially in business, it's somebody who can help guide us, but, you know, not too much, you know, or, or, you got to get out of that comfort zone so you can grow and learn new things and keeping that open mind and being open to learning new things and trying things that it's like, no, I don't think so. And, you know, look at me, what happened with a ninja, you know? So sometimes so you just. Let's dig a little further into that idea of, of being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Ooh, that's a toughie, isn't it? But if you're always comfortable, you're not growing and you're not learning and you don't have to go skydiving. You don't have to do something that is so terrifying. It paralyzes you with fear, but you do have to do something that makes you incredibly uncomfortable. Even you might be saying to yourself, why am I doing this? And why am I here? Because you never know how it's going to turn out. As long as you're safe, it's a safe environment, safe situation. Do it. <laughs> And I still, I still have done things that are way, even after the ninja stuff, I have done several things that are way out of my comfort zone. And, you know, it's like, don't do it. Don't do it. You know, the one angel saying, don't do it. And the other one going, just get out there. So every time I went out there and did it, I was glad I did. Nice. All right, Cheryl, what's the big dream? Oh, the big dream. I don't have just one. <laughs> I have several big dreams and it's not the knit and split um, or the pearl and twirl. The big dream is to be able to empower as many people as possible, find their inner strength, find their courage, find their warrior spirit, because I know that the spirit of a warrior is in each and every one of us just waiting to be discovered and waiting to be unleashed and shared with the world. And when you hear the word warrior, it does not mean fighting, aggression, conflict, warfare. The, the warrior spirit is compassion, it's, it's love, it's looking out for not only yourself, your family, your friends, your community, for one another, it's a lovely way to live and a wonderful philosophy. However, if somebody crosses that line, hmm, you at least have skills to deal with it. And a shovel. Yes. <laughs> and maybe a sword or two. Yeah. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate um, learning 
Feldenkrais, and now I've got mm -hmm. to research into that a little bit more. And and mm -hmm. uh, I, I love anything that shifts mindset, and so that's fantastic. And just thank you for your authenticity and, and just sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Robert. I really appreciate it. And I am really looking forward to having you on mine as well. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. ADDValueMindset.com. In our next episode, Justin Breen and Robert discuss the power of visionaries and the importance of sharing your message with the world. Justin presents his belief about the four stages of maturity. Most people get to get, the next level give to get, then get to give, but the highest level give to give, and only true global visionaries get it.